Um, hey, everyone. Hey, everyone. Hey, I will never get over how awkward it is to start the beginning of a podcast. It is because I don't know. <laughs> Maybe we'll get used to it at some point, but we're like 20 episodes. We're 21 episodes in officially with this episode. And it's not getting any easier. We're not getting any younger. Well, I'm Liza. I'm Riss. And you're listening to Little Sleep. Much reading podcast. And finally, from so little sleeping and so much reading, his brain dried up and he went completely out of his mind. I saw a TikTok, it was Hank Green suggesting his favorite science fiction books and I was like um podcast episode idea reading a recommendation from Hank Green I feel like he would listen to it I think he would and I'm in love with him like respectfully (laughs) I'm respectfully in love with him and people think that's weird but I'm like have you ever seen anybody just as lovely as Hank Green like really consider it and consider how you're doing yourself a disservice not to have a little bit of a crush on Hank Green. So yeah, we love him and I think we could read his book recommendations. I also think if John Green did not exist, it would be more weird for you to have a crush on Hank Green. But because yeah. John Green does exist, it's like, well, she could have a crush on John, but she has a crush on Hank, so it's okay. No, it's okay. No, precisely. That's it. I was unhauling books yesterday and I almost got rid of my John Green books. I only have Paper Towns and the Fault in Our Stars still, but I did not have the heart to do it. I kept them. And that's like the sixth time I've almost gotten rid of them. Aww. I'm like, I could I'm always- just like, no. I know, like, I'm like, I could always just repurchase them if I ever wanted to read them again. But there's something, do you ever have a book that's like, that specific copy of the book is important? Yes. Like, those books, like, those are the original copies that I read. And I'm like, I used to read those books, like, I've read both of those books multiple times, unfortunately. And I just don't have the heart to get rid of them. I, um... I'm attached to like all of my books and I can't get rid of them every time I read a book it just stays with me yeah unless I lend it out and then lose it forever which has happened to me too many times with important copies no Uh, yeah but there have definitely been books that I'm like okay if there was a fire I would grab this book that's so sweet oh that's so sweet like, like my copy of horns <laughs> i it has to stay with me at all time. i brought it to college with me i was just gonna say why do i feel like my copy of horns is gonna turn into one of those books that i'm just like not gonna ever get rid of something about that book it's like it's like sentiment like it's i want to cry <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean it's so good bro um my copy of perks being a wallflower is at my parents house and i would be very sad if I found out they like accidentally like gave it away or something. My copy of Into the Wild is very important to me. I feel like, which is kind of weird. And then there's like, do you ever thrift a book? And it like, even though it's like you thrift a book that you already read, but then that thrifted copy is so cool that you're like, I don't want to get rid of it. Cause like I have these, um, I got Pelican classic Shakespeare's this summer and I had like old, but they're old fat. I'll show you. Um, they're old-fashioned so these are the new pelican classics which are mine mm-hmm. and these are the thrifted ones they're from wow. so freaking long ago they're from like um 1972 and they have some theater kids notes in them shut up i love that and so now like even though like i've never read this specific copy of as you like it now this copy of as you like it is like my favorite thing that I have I love that how fucking cool are those I wish I wish I had been a full set maybe I can track down the rest 
on eBay or something. You probably could, like, really easily. If I ever see one, I'll pick it up for you. <gasps> Thank you. But yeah, like, will. what a glow down from the original, right. like, 1970, not original, obviously, but from the 1970 pen, um, Pelican to the new ones, bitch. Boring. Boring. My ink heart book is in rough shape. It's a soft cover. The spine is all like you could barely read it. The cover's taped on. That's so cute. When I was going through all the new books that I've been getting to sell, I had like a perfect soft cover ink art book that looks like it's literally never been opened. And my mom was like, You should keep that one and throw yours away. And I was literally like, I would never. That's so cute. I have my hardcover of Inkheart here. It's important to know. I want everyone to think about it right now. What book is like your baby books? Like you cannot get rid of these books. A fire happens. You can only take five books with you. (gasps) What do you grab? That's, I love that. Oh, I love that. Um, I love books. Me too. They make me so happy. So um, happy. And I like being surrounded by them all the time. Yep. So we were looking for some lit news, guys. There's really not much going on as of late. People are burning books, which is not good. Don't do that. Shun those people. I give you full permission to be mean to those people. And if you see them, you can go spit on them. Spit but- on some some fun happy book news um agatha christie's death on the nile is released or will be releasing very soon i think it's i don't think it's out yet i think it comes out next week but um it's gonna be a movie and i feel like it it's probably gonna be average at best but it's still cool to have a book to movie adaptation even if yeah. it's not like a hundred percent great you ever have unexplained beef with a celebrity yes like i've we've talked about this before i have big time beef with henry david thoreau um and i also have beef with paul revere which i can get into both of those another time but i have beef with kenneth brana who is a He's the guy, so he's in, he's making all these Agatha Christie movies, and he also makes all, he's Perot in the new movies, and he also makes all the Shakespeare's, and he's the uh, Professor Lockhart in the second Harry Potter movie. I didn't know any of this. And I, like, he make like, I have beef with him. Like, I would have to fight him, I think, if I ever saw him. So every time I see, like, Death on the Nile or the Murder on the Orient Express, I'm like, uh now i gotta beat this bitch up (laughs) the thing that makes me sad about them is like i thought murder on the orient express i was like okay that's it just okay and like part of me was like maybe it's just a movie like this can't be done anymore like it's just uninteresting sure but knives out was great knives out is one of the best films I've seen in the last five years. So good. And I mean, they're they're making the second one now, which I'm very excited for. It's, but... it's so fresh. Like, Murder on the Orient Express didn't... That's our problem with Agatha Christie, even. Like, we were like, we have to hand it to her, but this is not for our times. Does that make sense? Yes. I'm just waiting for someone to be able to, like, do that for Agatha Christie. Before we get into any more reviews, though, other lit news, speaking of lit news, um, I was telling Marissa that Toni Morrison had a new book come out at the beginning of February, um, and I'm so excited. I don't know how to pronounce the title. It's so- called Recitat. Wait, am I just, can someone tell me if I'm an idiot? It's spelled R-E-C-I-T-A-T-I-S. Now I'm like rethinking everything. No, I feel like that should be right. Recitative? Recitative? Recitative. Anyway, new Toni Morrison. Um, It's very exciting. 
It has an introduction by Zadie Smith, which is super cool. It's actually one of her short stories. And I guess Toni Morrison did not write a lot of short stories. Um, some people are saying, if any, that this might be the only short story. Um, but I, Marissa and I were saying that we highly doubt that um, because writers are always writing short stories, even if they don't see the light of day. Um, but yeah, Toni Morrison departed from us in 2019, so it feels like such a treat to get one more little piece of her even after she's gone. And I guess this has happened a few times in that books have been published posthumously from authors, um, and I just think that's, that's really cool, and I'm really excited to read this. Just a little correction. According to Google pronunciation, it's recit it's recitative. Recitative. Well, listen. Recitative. 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 We're gonna find out what it means, Tony. We're gonna learn. She's gonna let us know. She's gonna tell it's us. Supposedly a rhythmic arithmetic jesus christ arithmetic arithmetically <laughs> arithmetically oh free vocal style that imitates the natural inflections of speech oh okay sounds poetic it does i'm very excited it's gonna be great like i mean we can't expect anything less yeah, it looks like the only short stories that she ever published were this, and it was in an anthology in the 80s and then never printed again. And then a short story called Sweetness in 2015 in The New Yorker, which I would really like to read because that was right before she died. She died in 2019. Also, justice for short stories because I don't think that they're read enough. Justice for short stories bitch three cheers for tony morrison <laughs> three cheers for tony morrison what a lovely way to start black history month with a new tony morrison hell yeah and what a lovely way to continue black history month with another week of black history month reads genre fiction by black authors um that was my song oh, yeah. that was so good you guys, both Marissa and I had a very tough reading. Like, what did you say this morning, Marissa, when I was telling you how, like, I, w I was through a reading slump, and Marissa's theory was that I had been reading too much, and then I got slumped, but I was in, like, a reading slump. Like, I temporarily DNF a nonfiction book, and then my book for today, I'm over halfway through, and I will still be able to rate it, um, but it took a lot out of me to really get through it and it, it not even because the book like the book is good and I'm kind of sad that I read it during a reading slump but what yeah what did you say this morning about like reading being what it's not constant reading is not constant reading's just not constant never kick yourself for being in a reading slump folks no 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 like I feel like sometimes it seems like Marissa and I read a lot which we do but we also like don't and we also sometimes have to force ourselves which is sometimes not fun and also sometimes we have reading slumps mm -hmm. and I mean me and Liza are both very kind to ourselves where if we know that a book isn't working for us we don't finish it and I actually saw a really great TikTok the other day that was like I don't remember the exact number but there's like 70,000 books that are published each year so there's no way that you're ever going to be able to read all of the books that you want to read right so why would you continue to read a book that you don't like whoa that's so true that's so true because I was just thinking like basically I was reading In Cold Blood by Truman Capote and I haven't finished it and I was like oh I guess now I should finish it but I'm like honestly I don't have to. I tried to read that book two or three years ago and couldn't get through it. It's still sitting on my shelf. Never it picked might, it up again. It might but be. maybe if you decide to finish it, I'll also decide to finish it. And then we could do like a bonus episode on that. I'll probably try it one more time. Like I'll probably bring it with me to work tomorrow and see if I can just 
read any more, but honestly, if it takes me, I'm not saying I need to finish it tomorrow, but if it takes me another day to get into it, I'll probably DNF. I don't, something about his style, or maybe it's just the style of that book, I'm not sure, but I don't know, I couldn't do it. Yeah. Which is a shame, because the case is, like, really interesting. Really interesting case. Don't know. The font is also very small. Guys, stop with the friggin' small font. We hate I it. I can't do it. We hate small font in this house. But, yeah. If you guys, like, I also had a really hard time with this book that I'm writing this week. And I think that I'm going to finish it. But at the same time, I'm like, mm, maybe I won't. Yeah. And never, yeah, like you said, like, never get mad at yourself for not finishing something. Like, just live your life. Life's too short. Yeah. Don't read books you don't like. Right. I don't care if it's my book. I don't care if Liza publishes things and you don't like it. I don't care if friggin' Jesus Christ, the, the Bible, don't read it if you don't like it. Don't read it if you don't like it. Period. Me about to be like, I don't care if Jesus Christ published a book. Yeah. <laughs> you go, Jesus. You go, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so, maybe we should get into these books that we were eh about. Yeah. As Eliza said, we're continuing our week of, or our month of Black History Month reads by Black authors. So this week, we're, we read magic, in quote, magic books by Black authors. Yes. And much to say about that. Yeah, I feel like it was another broad definition of, because last week was like mysteries, and I feel like that was a little bit more on the nose, but for this, it's like, if we had more weeks of Black History Month, we probably would have done fantasy, sci-fi, and magical realism, yes. but we did not have enough time, so we kind of meshed into one, and you could pick fantasy, magical realism, or science fiction, or maybe a mix of those things, or maybe your book turned out to be none of those things, but still had, like, vibes, which happened to me. Um, I think also happened to me, but I'm still, like, kind of confused and not sure. I guess we're gonna find out. (laughs) Um, I read a book that was published in 2014 called Boy Snowbird by Helen Oyemi. And I read The Intuitionist by Colson Whitehead. Both amazing authors. Literally. We we know that these are great authors. Yeah. But perhaps these just aren't really the books for us. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Well, yeah. Well, let us elaborate. <laughs> yeah, so I, like I said, I read Boy Snow Bird by Helen Oyemi, which was published in 2014. Um, it is her fifth novel but she also has short story collections and plays and just to like give a little bit of background on Helen Oyemi she's super cool um she was born in Nigeria and grew up in um South London and she wrote her first novel when she was like still in the British equivalent of high school um which is so cool um she's only 37 years old and Marissa read one of her books um white is for witching earlier this season at the very beginning of the season um and i really want to read that book it actually won a shirley jackson it was a shirley jackson award finalist uh, which i feel like as a horror writer is probably the greatest honor you can get there's also the bram stoker awards which i'm sure also people um seek after but she has won a bunch of awards most of her work is magical realism if not all of it or at least kind of like surreal um and she is definitely just a force in the literary community as a whole um her most recent book um is called pieces and it came out last year um and i really 
want to read it. I almost picked that, but when I read the description of this, I thought it was just a good fit for Black History Month. And I do know that I want to read White is for Witching. And part of me thinks maybe I should have read White is for Witching or Pieces first, but I did still like, I do still did still like this book and do still appreciate it as I said it I was having a reading slump a couple of weeks and so um I only got a little over halfway through this book um I would say like 65 percent maybe 70 um I am going to finish it because I'm intrigued to see what happens um and I do still think I can review it having only read 65 but yeah, basically this follows, it takes place in the 1950s, um, and it follows a woman named Boy Novak coming to a small town after running away from home, basically, from New York City. And she falls in love with a man um, named Arturo. And fall in love is not quite the right word, because I thought their romance was really interesting, and I thought it seemed very realistic. Um, and I'll touch maybe more on that later when I talk about characterization. By the way, Boy is white. Um, just a little background. Anyway, Arturo has, uh, is, uh, his wife is dead. Um, and she becomes the stepmother of a little girl called Snow. And if the term stepmother and Snow just rang some bells, that is exactly what this is this is this book is labeled as a fairy tale or a contemporary fairy tale um and it is based on snow white anyway what happens next is this is the reason that i mentioned that boy is white she eventually is pregnant with arturo's kid and when the baby um arrives it is um a black girl and you find out that and this is the 1950s by the way Boy displayed some racist behavior that you would find typical of somebody in the 1950s, but it doesn't, I mean, I, I really do think that Oyemi was like exploring something really interesting just about like the racism of white women, whether, especially in this time period, where it was not like to the core, it was not hate by any means but it was just like a bias an implicit bias is that the term so she had no clue basically that this is all to say arturo is black he's just passing which is a term that they used to use um and they people still at school sometimes use to this day and um helen oyemi actually some inspiration for the this book was the book passing which is being turned into a movie um and it's a classic that you can definitely look up and should look up that explores what it means to be a black woman who is passing as white. So Arturo was a black man who was passing as white. His kid passes as white, even though she was her mother was white. Um, but boy is white too. However, the daughter of boy and Arturo, who they named Bird, comes out dark skinned. And then the book kind of explores other people's reactions to bird um and more of the snow white theme comes in because boy sends away one of the children but it is not bird um even though she was taken by surprise when bird was black and other people were rude to the child when the child was born black she actually sends away snow to live with arturo's sister who is also non-passing. So the little white girl is living with the non-pass, is sent away by her stepmother to live with the non-passing sister of her father, her non-passing aunt. And it's sort of like all starts to come through about like fairest of them all and like the stepmother's jealousy of Snow White, but it manifests in a different way then it manifests in the original. Um, and I just thought that was really interesting. Um, and it explores race and culture and beauty standards um, and racism from this time period and fairy tales in general in a really interesting 
interesting way and womanhood i would say too um and abuse um there's so there's like just like a lot going on in this in this book so jump right into it for readability i did give this book a 6.5 um i was in a reading slump and so i'm not sure if it's perhaps that that made it hard for me to get through this book i will say it really began to pick up around page like 60 it's a it's 300 pages it really started to pick up around page 60 like it, i did not love it before then like, i mean i didn't even really like it and then it really it split into three parts it really started to pick up at the end of part one which is 150 pages in so you do have to get i would probably say 100 pages into this book at least for me before you're really before it becomes a page turner otherwise that'll take me right into the next part of the chart because for language i gave this book an eight and i feel like that's what kept me reading those first 100 pages was i was just so entranced by oyemi's writing style that i was like okay like obviously i'm gonna keep reading this her i love her writing style marissa mentioned this with white is for witching it's so good um it's very strange but it's not even necessarily experimental like it is experimental at times but it's just like weird in a good way and she is doing like some interesting stuff form wise which i guess i'll just dump i'll kind of group these together i did only give it a six for form because the actual structure of the book is nothing to write home about it's just three parts but she did do some interesting things form wise like in the text with like making lists and inserting letters and italics and like definite like like now mirror like she puts like the dictionary definition of the word mirror like she is doing some actually really cool stuff that inclines me to put the form higher but i just thought that the actual like plot like the book structure was so plain that i was like i feel like she could have done something probably cooler with the actual structure of the book but her writing style is just absolutely gorgeous let me find this one part it's just a good example it's exactly the kind of language i like that is like very plain or very simple but it kind of like punches you in the gut in like a really weird way um and so this is the beginning of chapter 13. bird was born in the spring i say was born because the pain was so tremendous that i just let it come it was like quicksand the only way to make it out alive was to stop struggling against it to submit i'm told i was in labor for 13 hours but i really wouldn't know there was the quicksand then there was bird in my arms safe and well and dark that's like a good example i feel like of her writing style and sometimes she will do stuff that's a little bit more peculiar than that too that was just one that like caught my eye and stuck with me um for some reason um it does kind of remind me of miss lexi anderson her writing style and marissa said that too so yeah definitely has me wanting to read literally all of her other books like i feel like sometimes you come across an author where you're like oh i'm just gonna read literally all of their books um and that's how i feel after reading this for shelf worthiness i did give this a six so i have the full intention of reading helen oyemi's other books and i think that will make me this even more shelf worthy like i'll just want to have her entire bibliography if you will but if you like have read some of her other books and are just like kind of intrigued by this one or if you are intrigued by this but you don't know if you'll love it or you don't know if you'll ever reach for her other books it's definitely something i feel like you could take out from the library and support your local library for um because it is a good read um but i don't know if it's a two-time read which is why i'm always like if you're gonna go to the library pick out a book that's good but that you might not read again so that's what I would kind of say about about that. In terms of um, plot, I gave this book a 7.5. Um, I thought it was a very interesting take on Snow White. And it's sort of like, I did not know how it was gonna be at all related to Snow White, like I said, for like the first like 65, 70 pages. But then it started to get more and more like Snow White and 
I'm guessing it's going to take more, like I said, I'm only 65% of the way through, but I'm guessing it's going to take, like, it's going to diverge in different ways the more it goes on, because there are some themes um, that I did read about that were in the book that I haven't seen yet, um, specifically sexuality and gender identity that haven't come up. So I know it's not going to be like straightforward Snow White, and I never thought it was going to be that, um, but I just think it's really interesting. Um, like I said, I thought the love story part was quite, because here's the thing, I'll say this first. This book is described as a contemporary fairy tale, and so I thought there was going to be a lot more magic in it, but there really wasn't any. That being said, I feel like you might hear that and you might hear me talking about it and it taking place in the 1950s and, you know, discussing race and cultures in the way that it does. And you might be like, oh, it's literally just historical fiction then. It's not. There's not necessarily full frontal like magic happening, but this book is so surreal. Like all I can think of is like it feeling like a weird, like it feels like magical realism and that even though there aren't things that are blatantly magic, somebody like tipped the world on its access a little and everything's just a little strange there's like this scene where boy is walking in the park and she sees like two of herself like she's she's herself and then she sees somebody who is also her and the person talks and it's like asking her like questions and has the same voice as her and the person has blood all over their hands but then it's never really explained at least yet what was going on and then bird um the daughter just like has this whole section of the book at the beginning of part two where she's talking about how she can't see herself like she doesn't show up in the reflection of mirrors um and mirrors are a huge part of this book symbolically um because again it does have that who is the fairest of them all imagery in terms of snow um but now bird can't see herself in the reflection meanwhile boy had seen the reflection of herself with blood all over her in the park like there's just a lot of surrealism going on that i'm not even sure we're supposed to take it literally but i think you can and i think that's what makes magical realism magical realism is that it's all your willful suspension of disbelief and if you want to think it's all some sort of obscure symbolism, you can, but if you do think it's also actually happening, you can do that too. Um, and so I'm wondering if a lot of Oyemi's books are like that, but I'm also wondering if this is one of her more straightforward historical fiction or fiction books, because she also has, for example, White is for Witching, which has like the sort of house that is alive. And she has, um, uh, Mr. Fox, which is literally talking foxes. Um, and then she has the new one, Pieces, which takes place on a train. And there's like a talking mongoose in it, I think, um, which is lit. So I wonder if this one is more straightforward, but there's little hints of magic throughout that I think are really like weird in a good way. Like they're not like delightful little pieces of magic. They're like, uh, which is my favorite kind of magic. So that brings me into... That's, I guess, my long-winded explanation of how I feel about the plot. But I feel like that was all to say. There's weird bits of magic, but I thought the realism in this book was really interesting, especially in the characters' connections to each other. Boy's connection to Bird and Boy's connection to her best friend, Mia, and her connection to her parents, specifically her dad, and who is abusive and um her mom who's kind of absent there's this figure which i don't want to spoil anything but is like referred to as the rat catcher for the entirety of the book and it's like really strange and and interesting and cool also the names are so cool can i just say that like boy novak what a fucking sick name and then snow and bird are just such cool names too but one of them i'll like harp in on or zone in on i want to say is Arturo and boy's relationship because I said they fall in love but I literally don't think they do and she kind of knows that too like there's this moment where she's like I know I'm not in love with him and I won't ever be it's almost like out of convenience and he won't ever fully be in love with her either because he is his true love was his wife that is dead 
And so there's this weird jealousy too between boy and the dead wife. And she even describes it as the dead wife is jealous of her too, even though she's dead, which is kind of interesting. But at the same time, I thought parts of their relationship were like, I don't want to say sweet is the right word, but it, I think it just was a really good example of how writers, specifically women writers, um, can write such nuanced relationships. Um, like, I, we've talked about this before in the past, but like, it was a very small moment in the book, but there is like a sex scene in the book, and it was just so tasteful. And I was like, I don't think I've ever read a sex scene that tasteful in my entire life. And it's because mostly when we talk about it, we're referring to something male authors mostly put in or like it's in romance novels. And otherwise, it'll just kind of be like the lights get turned up and like that's all. But like this was just like we always say everything in the book should be intentional to move the plot along or to for characterization and I feel like these moments between Arturo and Boy even though I said they're not in love that's very clear this relationship is its own unique thing that is not that is a marriage but not quite a marriage in the conventional sense um that it just added to that relationship and characterization even more um everything felt very intentional um which I appreciated and I guess that kind of takes me right into the last section, which is characterization, which I gave this book a seven. Um, I thought I thought most of the characters were very well-rounded. I thought some of them fell a little flat, flat, excuse me, um, because Boy does have like a lot of friends specifically at the beginning and they're not very memorable except for the one Mia um, and some of Arturo's family are not very memorable either, but there are still standout characters, um, like the sister who is not white passing, um, um, the Mia, her friend, the woman that owns the bookstore that boy works in, um, obviously Arturo boy, Bird and Snow, um, but that's the only reason it didn't get higher was there were some characters that I was like, that just added to confusion because there were so many names and I didn't care about half of them um and the other thing is like I do think this book is interesting because you don't really like a, a lot of the characters um and I think that's specifically interesting with boy because you want to feel sympathy for her too because of the abuse that she came from but at the same time knowing later that her husband is black and she said some like like racist things in the beginning of the book like it makes her more realistic and a more complicated character but it also makes you not like her very much and at the same time you totally see why she wants to defend bird at all costs and that she fully becomes bird's mother and is like this my child is black this but this is my child and I don't want anybody to tell her she is wrong because of it and, but at the same time she sends away her stepdaughter and so it's like it's I always had a weird sympathy for the evil stepmothers in books specifically when there's like adaptations of them so like the stepmother in Ever After for example which is the Cinderella or Maleficent I always kind of have sympathy for and the evil stepmother in Snow White you don't really in the movie but if anybody has watched the show once upon a time you fully get that like weird like this person's kind of evil but there's a weird sympathy behind it too or maybe even an empathy not a sympathy I can't quite put my finger on it but this book also kind of switches perspectives too which I think is interesting to note and you're very close to obviously boy for the first part um but you're very close to bird in the second part and I'm wondering if that's going to switch again in the third part because I'm not there yet but yeah that is my review of what I was able to finish of Helen Oyemi's boy snow bird it's interesting because a lot of things that you were talking about were also things that she wrote about in White is for Witching. Like, there's also kind of the absent mother who's almost not absent and a lot of confusing names. <laughs> yeah, she's... she's 
such a good writer. And I also wonder if, I don't know, I had this this issue with White is for Witching when I finished it, where I was kind of like, would I read this book again? Because reading it, it is almost like there is magic in it, and it is like the house is alive and... um the dead is very present and there were like those those creepy magic moments where i was like ooh like ooh i kind of loved that but very spooky but you know the things that she's talking about in the book aren't always the magic's not always in your face there there's a whole part of the book where um the twins go away to college and then they're not in the house so there's a huge chunk of like the second half of the book that's not even that's not even like with either of the twins. It's just it's with a different character at college. And it's like I don't know. It's it's almost unsettling to have a book that you know is magical or you know is creepy and for there to be those like very ordinary moments. But it seems like she does that very very well. I know in White is for Witching it was done very well. I think that your book is probably going to pick up more because once it got to a certain, once White is for Witching got to a certain part at the end, it picked up fast. So that's also why I'm like, would I read it again? Because the part that I feel like I need to read again is the ending. So I don't know if I would have to read the whole book again. But yeah, that's really, that's really interesting. And I think you have to get White is for Witching now. I do. I want to read it so bad. Yeah, I think that we are Helen Stans. We are Helen Stans. Gorgeous, gorgeous girls love Helen. I'd love to hear about um, The Intuitionist. I read The Intuitionist by Colson Whitehead, and he's actually... I don't know why. I just thought he had like tons and tons and tons of books. And I'm pretty sure he only has nine, was it? Doesn't have too many, which I mean, nine is a lot, but just not as many as I thought that he had. So this is his book that was published in 1999. I believe it was his seventh book. Don't quote me on that. And he is a prized author. He's won uh the pulitzer prize for fiction twice and i think he won the national book award so we know he's great and i me and liza bowles have also read another one of his books which i will talk about in during my review of this book which was great i really enjoyed it but this book was not my favorite so this book is it takes place this is another weird thing I heard a lot of people who are like, oh, and this book takes place in a place that is like New York City, but we don't really know if it's New York City. It literally says right in the book, it's New York City. What is wrong with you people? So this book takes place in New York City, and it takes place, the time that it takes place is not specified, but I'm guessing it's like the 50s, 60s, 70s, somewhere around there, because it's during a time when, when Black people are referred to as colored and also there are not as many in certain job fields um and it seems like they are almost still segregated but not so that was my estimate on that and so it's about elevators how weird is that and so um there are there's a department called the the Department of Elevators or the Department in Elevation, Department of Elevator. And there are two different factors in it. And there are um, the intuitionist and the empiricists. And so the empiricists, they, when they inspect elevators, they like look at the mechanics and that's how they tell if there's something wrong. The intuitionists can just ride in an elevator and they understand the mechanics of the, ne- the elevator so well that they don't have to look at the machinery at all. 
they could just ride in it and listen to the way that it sounds and tell you all this crazy stuff about it. And obviously the two sides are kind of like warring and they both think that they're the best. And our main character, her name's Lila May. She is the first African-American elevator inspector who's a woman. And um, she is an intuitionist. So she can just listen to the elevator and know what's wrong with it. And so an elevator in a new building crashes, which according to the book, an elevator going into free fall is extremely rare. And she was the one who did its last inspection. So now she's suddenly on the chopping block. And it seems as though she's being set up more than likely by an empiricist. So there's a lot going on here. And and she has to clear her name. It's it's pretty rough so far. I'm not going to lie. Um, for readability, I gave this a 5.5. I could not get into this book. I'm not done with it yet. Um, I'm just about halfway through and I I am going to try to finish it because I do want to know what happened. And I also think that there are a few factors that are contributing to me not being able to to get into it as much. And I think that if even like one of those factors had changed, it would be a much different story. So first of all, the font is so small. It's a very um, hard serif font. And if you don't know what that means, a serif font is like the font, it's like more decorative. Instead of a two-lined L, it has like the little hat on the L and the little drops hanging off the hat of the T, if that makes sense. All the letters kind of have their own little lines on the tops and lines on the bottom you guys know what i mean if you guys don't know what a serif font is look it up no shame in that most books are or should be in serif font and this one is it's a very hard one small font like i said there's like 34 lines per page and maybe a 12 point font um and this is i would say like a five by eight standard book perhaps so that to me is like a little bit ridiculous um, that there's that many lines on this small of a book in this small of font. And it, it, I don't know, something about that, it makes it hard for me to read and it makes me feel like I'm not making progress with the book because it takes me so long to read one page. And so I lose interest really fast. Also, the content is quite technical. There's a lot of elevator language, aka physics talk, which to me, that's just going to go right over my head. And a lot of talk about pulleys and levers and all this other crazy stuff. So for me, that's taken me out quite a bit. Um, my eyes will literally just like dough up and I'm not really absorbing what's going on in the book. And also, I, I just feel like I'm in a very particular book mood lately, and this book wasn't, it's not part of the mood that I'm currently in. And so those three factors, font, technical words, <laughs> and um, my book mood, all three of those factors combined, I just, I'm having a hard time getting through this book. Moving on, for language and style, I said a six. So I, like I said, me and Liza both have read something from Colson Whitehead before. I read, we both read Colossus of New York, which is more of a lyrical style book about New York City. And I know that he is a beautiful writer. His descriptions always hit the nail on the head. Um, he's always, even in this book, his descriptions are really hitting the nail on the head. Um, he uses like big words that are just like beautiful on the tongue, which I know sounds so weird, but as a reader, I want, I don't want like, I don't always want rough words. And I think he knows the exact spot to put 
um, a more rounded word that, I don't know, just makes his language more beautiful. But um, unfortunately, he's also a very smart writer, which isn't always great because as I just previously mentioned, there's so much technical content in this book and it makes me go nuts. The Colossus of New York was more opinion-based, I guess, in a way. Um, So things were very fluid in that book. And it you move you were moving along a lot in that book. Um, but something else that's kind of interesting is obviously the Colossus of New York is about New York, and this book is set in New York, and he does have quite a few little tidbits about New York in this. Like, um, for instance, I don't know if I'm just a dunce, like I don't know if this is general knowledge or what. But the friggin' glass palace, I didn't know that that was a thing. So apparently there's there was this huge glass palace that was in New York City, and it was beautiful. And it was, I guess it was like a huge museum or something that just had like all these artifacts in it. And it burned down, and then they built, and like that's where Times Square is now. I did not friggin' know that, but I thought that that was so interesting, and it it was cool to put in a little history fact that is real in, like, a very fictional book, that, and it wasn't just in there to be in there. It was a part where a man was showing his, his I guess, like, his advancements in elevation, so I thought that was really freaking cool. Okay, so for form, I'm going to omit form because like nothing too interesting was happening page to page. The only thing that I can really, but like I do want to mention something. So the book was split up kind of interesting. So it's in two large sections. One, the first one being down and the second one being up. And then down and up are split into two parts each, titled part one and part two. And other than that, there are some page breaks where it switches point of view or sometimes time period. But other than that, there are no chapter breaks. So sometimes it just feels like I was just reading and reading and reading and reading for a really, really long time, which I think also kind of contributes to my lack of interest. But I did think that was interesting. And the the up and down parts, they look like buttons, which I like that. Um, for Shelf Worthy, I gave this a five. Again, I've not finished this book yet. I'm going to try to finish it. Um, but after I do, I will probably never pick this book up again. And I actually was like, would I keep this book on my shelf? I think I could see myself... If I was a person who got rid of books, I think I could see myself getting rid of this book. And therefore, um, I think that you could definitely borrow this book. But because we want to support Black authors this month, I'm going to encourage you to buy The Colossus of New York, which is also by him because it was great. Um, For the plot, I gave it a seven. The plot's actually working. I'm interested in this mystery aspect and... I think the reason that I'm so interested in it is because it seems very straightforward. Um, But I have a feeling that many curveballs are going to be thrown my way and it's actually not going to be straightforward. And I love that. So for that whole mystery aspect, I'm definitely going to keep reading. This book is also a really, it, it has like an, it has a really interesting meditation on race that I find to be really, really important. And it really contributes to the theme as a whole and the plot as a whole. And okay, so I would say this book is definitely slower paced and I, I'm feeling it's more character driven and I would say it's um, very political. For characterization, I'd give it an eight. 
I'm actually really enjoying the main character, Lila May. I find her really strong in a quiet way. And she's very professional, which I feel like we don't always get from our characters, especially when we're getting like their point of view. They don't, I don't know. They feel almost friendly and she's definitely not like that. Not that she's not nice or anything. She's just very professional, very polite, very put together. And it's like everything she does feels like it it's circling around this job that she has, which is super interesting. And one thing I'm also really appreciating character-wise is the small details that he gives to other characters that help them feel real. Even characters that like you don't necessarily like, there are weird little quirks about them that are really like helping them feel like a round and full character. And I'm really appreciating that. So even though this book didn't get very high ratings, um, I'm still going to continue to read it and really try to push through and get it and get it done. But you know what? If I read another 50 more pages and I'm like, eh, maybe not, then you know what? Maybe not, guys. And that's just the way that it is. So that's that on that. That's just the way the cookie crumbles, folks. It truly is. He is screaming. She is, like, being so loud. Peep, what the hell? She was just talking about her book. What did you read this week, P? Peep. Oh. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah? You want to come talk right into the mic? Come up. She's like, do you have a moment to talk about our Lord and the Savior, Harry Styles? That was like just a good example of sometimes you can't read. Sometimes you can't read. Sometimes you forget how to read. And like, yeah, an author could be really great, but sometimes they're just not for you. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. That's also just like every other book I read in school, like mostly in my lit classes, not as much in my writing classes, but sometimes in my writing classes. And I read it and be like, yo, I get it, but also stop the films. Kids, if you're listening to this, if you're a kid and you're listening to this and you're assigned the Scarlet Letter, don't fucking read it. (laughs) No. Read one of his other short stories because they're actually pretty good. Nathaniel Hawthorne and then talk about his writing style in your paper instead of the actual book and watch the movie but the old one not the one with um Demi Moore Young Goodman Brown Young Goodman Brown slaps fucking ass I friggin love Young Goodman Brown read Young Goodman Brown watch the Scarlet Letter film and write your paper and if you get in trouble tell your teacher that we told you to do that Mm -hmm. blame it on us there are some classics you should just read but the scarlet letter is not one of them no it simply is not i get how it was good for the time but also like no exactly. i'm good we should make a blog post about the classics that you should just read the schmoop of in school yes because there's some you should actually read because I love them. And then you should read the schmoop after. Um, example A, Madame Bovary. One of my favorite classics. And then the schmoop is so fucking funny. I love schmoop. I I'm a huge schmoop fan. I want to work there and write those summaries, bro. How do you get a job there? I don't know. Someone, schmoop, sponsor us, first of all. <laughs> oh my god, can you imagine? shit my dick i think we should be sponsored by schmoop audible and book of the month and come on besties come on you can do it besties listen up we we need your help but that's all she wrote kind of for this week what's next week next week is um continuing with the black history month theme we're gonna be doing horror dude i'm so excited i am beyond excited like i think that i'm in like a crime horror type mood i'm so ready to read this book you have no idea i know p Uh, are we ready are we ready p what are you and p reading 
Me and Peep are going to be reading The Devil in Silver by Victor Lavelle. And I highly recommend everyone looks up this book cover because I like it. I like it a lot. Um, and I'm, I'm excited because I've heard a lot of good things about Victor LaVale. Like, I've heard amazing things about him. And I am reading Lakewood by um, Megan Giddings, which is horror compared to Get Out. And I'm excited. It also feels like it has a little bit of Stranger Things vibes. And if you don't know, I grew up in a town with some less than savory rumors about scientific experiments that I learned more about recently. Um, and so anytime there's awful scientific experiments going on, I'm like, sign me up because I would like to see it. Uh, but I'm scared. I'm scared for the main character of this fucking book. But I'm excited. <laughs> that, that's, that's how we feel about that, guys. That's that on that. Um, and we're really excited to get into these. We'll see you guys next week, and maybe Marissa will have a learner's permit. Maybe I will. Who knows? Who knows? We'll see. And, um, keep reading. Keep reading. Or don't. Or don't. I was gonna say, if you can't, don't do it. Go watch Criminal Minds instead. Peace out, guys. Peace out. Bye. Did you hear? I did. He was like, meh, meh. He's a baby genius for real.